the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, starting school can drive fear into most any kid's heart, especially if you're starting in a new school. And if you were starting a school in this new environment, it would certainly strike some fear into you. But uh, when I was starting high school at St. Andrew's School in the mountains of Tennessee, it was a doubly fearful thing. First of all, uh, my mother had to borrow a car to even get me up there. She had to borrow a Studebaker to let you know how old I am. And um, she drove me up to the flagpole, and as soon as she got there, uh, the headmaster, Father Franklin Martin, met her, shook her hand, and said, please take the footlocker, you only allowed one footlocker clothing and stuff, put it out by the flagpole, and if you would please kiss your son and leave. That's how quick our, our, our departure was. So about the time my mother's driving down the windy path in the old brown and white Studebaker, and I'm kind of holding back tears, um, I, we are told all freshmen go to the, go to the chapel to uh, receive your welcome speech. <laughs> well, I was, oh, this is great. They're going to give us a big welcome. I kind of need that right now. So we went into this chapel, you know, and then the freshmen all sat in the front. I always wondered why you sat in the front pew and a life-size Jesus hanging off of a cross is just looking down on you like this. So I'm sitting there uh, on the front pew, and uh, Father Martin says uh, to all of us, I'm glad you're here, but Mr. Spiegel, the Dean of Discipline, will give the welcome speech. And I thought, oh, that's nice. Uh, and uh, so uh, Mr. Spiegel, uh, who, uh, you know, looked like, uh, well, a railroad car, actually, uh, he got up into the, into the pulpit and he says, I only got two things to say to you. Number one, we're not going to take you anywhere. If you pass my dust inspection, if you ever pass my dust inspection, well, you go out to the road and put your thumb out. And you better hope to Almighty God that some farmer picks you up and takes you to town because if one of those drunk college students gets a hold of you, don't tell them what happened to you. That was the first part of the welcome speech. I know the mothers in the crowd are going, are you kidding me? Uh, and then the next thing he said, now, this is even more important. If you're out in the woods... And you see something shiny, you better turn tail and run because somebody's going to shoot you. Well, I was from the city. I didn't know what in the world he's talking about. So I was sitting next to a tow-headed boy, and I looked over and I said, Hey, uh, what is shiny in the woods? And he said, A still, you fool. A still. They make moonshine liquor up here. And I said, They do? <laughs> Well, for the next four years, uh, it, uh, every time I walked in the woods, and we were in the woods a lot, all boys school didn't have anything to do, was in the, walking in the forest. Uh, every time I saw just the, a glint of sunlight coming off of a, of a piece of dew on a leaf, I was turning and running like Jesse Owens in the Olympics. I mean, I was terrified I was going to have a rear end full of buckshot. Well, all of these memories came flooding back to me this last week. Because Kay and I were hiking up in those same forests. And at one point, uh, we made our way down a ravine that cuts right through the Cumberland Plateau, uh, which is called Shake Rag Hala. Shake Rag Hala. And it's called that because 
Uh, in those days, if you drove up to the opening of that ravine and you, and you shook a white handkerchief, somebody would come out of the forest and give you a mason jar, sell you a mason jar full of 100-proof corn whiskey. <coughs> Hence, Shake Rag Hollow. Well, Kay didn't think anything about this, but as we're walking down into the hollow, as it got darker and darker, you know how things get in the mountains, and you know, you're looking, and I'm going, my head's on a swivel. I'm thinking, and every time I see any light whatsoever, I'm ready to turn, I turn tail and run because I still had these remembrances of, of all these stills down there when I was a boy. And of course, those are, uh, those are uh, unfounded fears. Um, and... Um, and they can kind of ruin your day if you don't watch out. I mean, ever since they started selling liquor in the Piggly Wiggly and on the shelves of Walgreens, I think the moonshine business began to wane, but not, you know, not in my psyche, uh, such that it is with fear. Some fears can save your life, and some fears can weigh you down as if you have an anvil around your neck. Um, and, and we see some of that in the gospel story today. Um, you know, Peter... Um, ask the Lord if he can step out on the water and go to him. And the Lord says, sure, come on. And immediately Peter begins to sink. Uh, and he says, Lord, save me. And of course, then Jesus reaches out his hand and does so. Now, Peter's fears are unfounded. I mean, why would, have, why would the Lord walk across the water in the first place? It says, many furlongs. So, a couple of miles into the water or so, a long way. A furlong is an eighth of a mile. Why would the Lord come out in the middle of that lake just, just to let Peter sink and die? But like me, walking through Shake Rag Hala, I couldn't quite get that through my head. So there you go. Let's run the tape back a little bit just to, to look at the story a little more closely because it bears, it bears some, some close inspection for our own life in Christ. Um. Jesus, uh, in the, as the story unfolds, has just fed the 5,000. And he says, you guys go on ahead back to Capernaum without me. Get in the boat without me. I'm going to go up in the mountain and pray. And so he does that. Uh, but in uh, the middle of the night, in fact, it's the fourth watch. That's, that's the, the time of night right before sunrise. It's the darkest time of the night. The disciples are having a heck of a time. I mean, the wind is kicked up. And they are just in danger of being swamped by the, by the waves and the wind. And, they're, and, the, and, you know, they're exhausted. There's nothing like being afraid when you're exhausted. And so here they are, and they can make no headway whatsoever. And about this time that they're just uh, absolutely at their, at, at, at their wit's end, uh, here comes Jesus walking across the water. And there's a lot of things you can say about the water in Hebrew, but uh, the Hebrew understanding of the water is it was a place of chaos. It was the untamed part of the earth. And that's why it comes up so often in, in various images, especially in the Old Testament, but in the New as well. So Jesus comes walking across the, the white caps, if you can see him. And uh, as he gets close, they think, oh my goodness, he's an apparition. He's a ghost. It's a ghost. And, um, and he says, he says, Take heart, it is I. Do not fear. Take heart, it is I, do not fear. And, uh, and then, you know, Peter saying, you know, I don't want to give up this Instagram or, or YouTube moment. Uh, if it's really you, Lord, 
call me out into the water to you. And of course he does so. And Pete begins to walk out and he begins to sink uh, because the wind kicks up and he goes, whoa. And uh, he, uh, he begins to sink. And uh, the Lord, it says, reaches out his hand and saves him. Reaches out his hand and saves him. And then uh, the Lord says, oh, you of little faith. In fact, the Greek reads this way. Oh, you little faith. Oh, you little faith. Why did you doubt? And when Jesus gets in the boat, what's also interesting, a new kind of fear takes hold of the disciples. A different kind of fear, the right kind. They fall down, prostrate in the middle of the boat, and begin to worship him. That's what that word means. The, word, the Greek word for worship here means to fall down, really prostrate, and to worship. Okay, that's probably you know, all you want to know about that story. But what's important is this story is yoked to the Exodus story. Remember, Matthew, in the end of the first century, is writing, um, writing a Christian community that, that is fully familiar with the Jewish stories. It's probably sort of a Jewish Christian community. And so he's writing them in the way they understand. And, um, and Jesus manifests himself uh, in a way that he is the way through the, of the new exodus. So let's just kind of look at it uh, and see how it's connected. The first giveaway we have that it's connected to the exodus story is that when Peter is sinking... It says Jesus reached out his hand and saved him. If you read Exodus 3, um, you will see that when Moses is called up the mountain to see God, God says, I have seen how my people are beleaguered uh, by the Egyptians. I am going to stretch out my hand. I'm going to stretch out my arm and I'm going to save them. Okay, that imagery is there. I'm going to stretch out my hand. I'm I'm going to save them. Okay, so here we have Jesus doing the same thing that God said he was doing. And, of course, God does stretch out his hand, doesn't he? He stretched out his hand, and, uh, and, he, and he visits ten plagues upon Egypt, such that by the tenth one, uh, the Passover, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the Egyptians have had it. And they say, look, leave here. In fact, on your way out, let us give you all of our jewelry and stuff as you go. Like if you have a lot of money, like Gail Wettstein, I mean, she just would have given all this very expensive jewelry of hers just to get out of Dodge, you know. So they're laden down with the wealth of Egypt, and they're on their way. Um, But they only get down the road a little ways until their backs are against the Red Sea. Now remember, the Lord has brought them this far. And And they say to Moses... Why did you bring us here just to kill us? We'd be better off just being slaves. Typical of us, too. Oh, golly, this this new freedom in Christ isn't quite worth it. I think I'd rather go back to being incarcerated. We do it all the time. But anyway, their backs are against the Red Sea. And Moses says, you better take a look at these Egyptians one last time as they come after us. Because the ones you see, you will never see again. Pretty stirring. They're going, what do you mean, boss? And then the Lord tells Moses through Aaron to hold up your arm, hold up your staff, and the Red Sea parts, and they're able, Israel is able to walk through in freedom. Um, you know, the, the similarities between the two stories, think about it. Jesus walks out on the water, and then Peter has the audacity, the unfounded fear to say, you know, oh, Lord, save me. Well, uh, just as the people 
uh, with their backs against the Red Sea. The Lord brought you all this way. Do you really think he's going to let you perish now? Another thing I didn't mention, uh, two things I didn't mention, is the other corollary here um, is that when Moses asked God who he's representing, I mean, how in the world is Pharaoh going to listen to him and how is Israel going to listen to him? He says, he says, just tell him I am sent you. Just tell him I am sent you. Well, what does Jesus say when he's coming across the water? Take heart. It is I am. It's exactly what he's saying, you see. I am is here. God uh, is manifested completely in Jesus Christ. Not partially, completely in Jesus Christ. So, many crossovers. Now, why do I tell you all this? I tell you this because Matthew wanted his, his people to know who felt marginalized in this Roman and Jewish culture, that, um, that God is in the saving business and he's always been in the saving business. He's not in the condemnation business. Um, that, from, that, that the manifestation of Jesus Christ is not something new for God. It's what God has always done. He's always been about saving his people. Always, always. And yet... Uh, the people in Matthew's time and in ours are always looking around for God to condemn us. It's, and and that, is, that is really unfounded. And it's like wearing an anvil around your neck. I mean, what I want you to know as your pastor is this. God is relentless. He's coming after you. He's coming to save you. He will not be deterred. He will not be deterred. He is coming. And it's an unfounded fear to think that, he's, that we always need to be looking over our shoulder like me and Sheikh Raghala looking for God to come and condemn us. He's not. You know, I've really been moved lately by the work of Richard Rohr. Um, I've read his work before, but recently, I guess, maybe because of my age, his work has spoke to me in a much more powerful and poignant way. In this last book, it's going to be his last book because he's, he's had a recurrence of cancer. He knows he's dying. Rohr says, he says, Jesus Christ came not, uh, not to convince God uh, <clears throat> about you and me, but to convince you and me about God. God does not have to. Jesus doesn't, is in a last-ditch effort uh, to kind of make us okay with God. No, Jesus comes to tell us what God is really like. That's what he's really like. He's gracious, slow to anger, and loving. He's, he's coming for us. You know, the most popular, the mo at least according to the NFL, the most po popular verse in the whole Bible is, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son to the end of the, all that believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. <clears throat> we love that, and we should. Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. But then the next verse is just as powerful. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn it, but he sent the Son in the world so that we may be saved. We may see saved through him. And St. Paul, who writes well before uh, Matthew and the other gospel writers, uh, says, who is he that condemns? Who is it that condemns? And what is it, uh, Roman? Who is it that condemns? Oh, it's Christ Jesus. Oh, Christ Jesus who's died and rose again. <laughs> he died and rose again for you and me. He doesn't condemn. He's coming for us. Coming for us. 
Now, I have one last thing to say. You may be saying to yourself, okay, Pat, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really hurt that we have these fears about God. You know, that, you know, having a little sense, it's kind of like your mama saying, it's good you fear your daddy a little bit, you know. Well, it's not good in, in, in terms of our Lord. Because if we have these unfounded fears about God being juridical, about God condemning us, this is how it gets played out in our lives as Christians. We begin to be juridical ourselves. And we begin to mete out our love in small little bits to those whom we think deserve it. Uh-oh, uh-oh. But those who've had the anvil taken off their neck, who've conceded to the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, lavish love on others, just as we have experienced it, you see? That's how you become an ambassador for Christ, as it's written in 2 Corinthians 5. That's how you become an ambassador, by lavishing the love that you have received. Wow, wow. And then to live in those unfounded fears is to skulk through life, head on a swivel. But to be liberated is to walk freely and to want nothing more in this world, nothing more than to fall down and worship in awe and the right kind of fear, the one who loves us completely.